Hi, uh, my name is Joachim. Um, most people know me as Jay. Um, I, uh, I'm originally from this area. I was born here, but uh, in 2005, my uh, family and I uh, moved to Germany. And um, then I uh, decided to come back here. So when I moved back in uh, 2018, I was facing so many problems, so many issues, long list. And uh, I just didn't know how to, how to deal with it. And so in desperation, I, I, I just said, okay, God, like, do something. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, help me out here. And, and he, he did. And... Uh, and uh, it just, it was great. Like the biggest, or what seemed to be the biggest problems were just, just gone. Just like that. They're, like just solved. Like, okay, like, wow. And um, so what followed was, uh, was, uh, okay, like this is, uh, this is insane. Like, like I, I, you know. Um, I should really give this another thought, you know, like, uh, and um, what grew out of that was uh, the want to, to learn more and um, to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was great. It was like a, it was like a Jesus high. And um, yeah, it, it felt amazing. And then, um, yeah, when it uh, when it came time to to fully commit, um, like one hundred percent, I uh, I just found myself in a in a in a spot where I was like, okay, well, hang on, um, I, uh, I I can't imagine not being in control. Like, I I, I want I want some control, and um, yeah, I mean that. Uh, that really didn't go that well, um, and I, uh, yeah, it 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 really didn't didn't work out. Like it just just destroyed everything, you know. It just blew up on me, and uh, so um, yeah. I mean, then a couple of weeks ago, um, I was uh, I was in a phone call with a friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about some really heavy stuff and um, you know I was just you know trailing off in thoughts and in that in that moment uh, you know God just just reached out and like pulled me out of this inception this illusion that I was living you know like I'm in control and he's like no you're not and look at what look at what's look at what's become of you look at what you've done and um, it it hurt uh, it hurt, but there was this feeling that I wasn't alone with it, that I could just, that I, I, that, that I wasn't facing this, the, all these issues all over again, alone. I, I, I could feel, I could feel that I could reach out and say, God, help me. And, um, there, yeah, you know, like there was this pain, but there ultimately also was that, that, that healing 
and um, it uh, it just led me to to a to a spot where uh, I was like, okay, like I guess I guess I gotta let go, and so um, ultimately, what you know what that means is full submission to the Lord and um, you know understanding that a part of that means um, being baptized, going in as a sinner and coming out with new life. Like I, I'd say I, I never really gave God a real thought, but um, you know, like yeah, he just, he just wasn't really a part of my life. Like I never, I, you know, I didn't really think about him because he never really was my focus point. I know what I what I hope for. Um, ultimately, what I what my urge is is to not to, to to come to a more to a better understanding and to know him better than I have before, and to grow with him. To not fall back into those old habits and to actually commit to live a Christ-like life. He's got a plan for me. And um, like, uh, it's, it, it might not be what I'm imagining. I can't even imagine it. But I, I have that knowledge and that he has something amazing and that is the truth he he has something amazing planned for me i don't know what it is i can't control it and um that's okay because i don't want to anymore i i don't want to i remember the first time i, I met jay it was it was right back there and uh, probably in the, the first time I met him, I knew that uh, even though, even though he, he wanted really nothing to do with, with being at church, um, I knew that God had a hold on his life and he had no chance. Uh, and it was, I remember walking away, I think probably in our second conversation, just shaking my head and being like, he's got no chance. Um, and so I'm so excited to be in the tub with you here today. Um, so you ask him, um, have, you, have you accepted the forgiving, saving work of Jesus over your life? And Joachim, have you surrendered that control and chosen to follow Jesus as Lord all of your days? Yes. And upon your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, New Life. You look good, especially you, Ian. Um, growing up, I uh, grew up on the East Coast in the Maritimes, and uh, my pastor back in the East Coast, his name was Gordon. Gordon used to tell me a story about uh, when he was in college, he worked part-time as an appliance repairman, and he would sort of job shadow and, and work alongside apprentice under someone experienced. And he would tell me stories about this this older man who was an appliance, a, a Maytag repairman, and, 
he would go to work every day, and he, he, loved, he loved Jesus deeply, and he would go to work, uh, and while he was fixing washing machines and, and ovens, he would, he would whistle. He would whistle old hymns, church hymns. And it was just sort of his thing. He was this, this joyful dude who would whistle along while he worked. Uh, and it often led to people asking the question of, well, what song are you whistling? Uh, and then he would have a chance to share the gospel through these songs that he was whistling. And, and it was amazing that he led multiple people, many people, to faith simply by going to work every day, fixing washing machines and whistling hymns. And through his joy and, and through the gospel message in the song, led people to faith. And um, it was just this amazing, amazing image of this man who worked just a regular job, but saw it as a, a kingdom opportunity to love people and to teach people about Jesus. Um, growing up in the church, I used to think that uh, this is what mattered to Jesus. That you had to show up to church and you had to put on your most uncomfortable clothes and you just sit and be quiet and behave good so that you could trick God into thinking that you were okay for another week. And then you could go home and get on with your life and do the things that were important. Uh, you know, it's kind of like visiting grandma every once in a while. You just had to let her pinch your cheeks and, you know, and feed you the, the really gross candies out of the hard dish. And, and then you were good. You were good for another couple months and you could, um, that was how I felt about God. And, and but I don't think I'm alone in this, this tension of, of what matters, uh, what we call sometimes the, the sacred, which we might, we might feel we're doing right now, uh, versus the secular, which is everything else that happens outside of this place. Um, all the way back to an ancient philosopher, Plato, uh, he, he sort of really outlined this, outlined this concisely in what's known now as platonic duality. And, and no, there's no test, so don't worry about it. Um, platonic duality means that the spiritual is good. And the flesh, the physical, the material is bad. It was really that simple. And so there was this emphasis on the spiritual is the important and everything else is less important. And, and we've, we've sort of developed this as, as people where we believe that this is the spiritual sort of important stuff and then everything else is sort of peripheral. And one way the church has lived that out is through monasticism where people have believed that Okay, well, the everyday stuff of, of working jobs and making money and feeding our families and, and you know, grocery shopping, that all is, is, is less important than the spiritual. And so they would dedicate their lives, sell everything they have, and live in a, in a monastery where they would just pray and sing and, and just do the spiritual because they felt like that was what was important. As we personally wrestle with this tension of, of, of what is important to God, is it this or is it something else? Um, it brings me to the text that we've been studying this week in the dailies. As, as I've been reviewing over the dailies text, something struck me this week on this. And, and that's the way that Jesus ministered to people. The way that Jesus taught. The way that Jesus interacted. And so, um, this week we saw we were in Matthew chapter 8. And so we're going to sort of do an overview breeze through. And I, I want to sort of highlight something that, that I've noticed this week in, in looking at the gospel of Matthew. So Matthew 8, 21, um, Jesus is sort of walking through these towns and people are coming up to him. And there's one story where this dude comes up and says, uh, another of the disciples said to him, and so this was someone who was kind of on the periphery of following Jesus. He sort of was paying attention. He was around a bit, but not one of the 12 apostles. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, uh, implying that I want to follow you, but first let me just go and take care of this other thing. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, uh, kind of a difficult verse, and there's some debate on what exactly this means. Um, 
and this guy must have had his own situation that Jesus was speaking to, but essentially with, I think what, what Jesus is saying here is, um, don't compartmentalize following me. Don't say, hey, listen, I've got some stuff to do. I've got some errands to run. I need to do some, some everyday things of life. Let me take care of those, and then I can focus on following you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. There, there's no compartmentalizing one and the other. They're all the same, that it's a, a holistic following. That's all of life. Uh, then he goes on to say, and, and from there he went in on, on the lake. So when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So this would be his 12. They got in on a lake. They were fishermen. They were crossing the lake. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being swamped with the waves, but he was asleep. And so Jesus, they go on a trip together across the lake, and he falls asleep in the boat. And then the storm rises up, this, this huge storm, and the disciples are terrified. And Jesus uses this simple traveling opportunity as a way to teach them about anxiety and fear and faith when Jesus then speaks and calms the storm. Simply with a word, the waves go calm. And it's just in the, the midst of traveling. They're just in a boat going for a sail. And Jesus uses it as an object lesson as they go along. Uh, skipping ahead in, into 28, verse 28. And when he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came to him, coming out of tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Here we have Jesus again just traveling. He's on his way and he's interrupted by these dudes who are possessed by demons. And that's its own sermon altogether. Um, but Jesus is simply just walking somewhere. He's traveling and it's the, in the interruption that he does ministry. The interruption on his way to something else. In verse 9-1, getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Here he was accosted by a crowd. So he's traveling. He's going home. This is everyday stuff. And then in 9 9, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Here we have Jesus again just walking through the temple, going about everyday stuff of life, sees Matthew called Levi and says, Follow me. And for Matthew, it meant something drastically different because his profession was it, he was stealing. He was it was extortion, it was theft, it was cheating. And so for Matthew, it meant actually having to leave his job. But Jesus' ministry is going on in the everyday stuff of life. Matthew starts to follow Jesus. And then we see in verse 10, Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Then Jesus is at a party. Jesus is at dinner. And, and so ministry here, and then he, he's sort of a, a confronted by some of the religious leaders here. But ministry for Jesus happens at a party. It happens at weddings. It happens at funerals. And the thing that struck me as I was studying this text this week that really hit me is that the ministry of Jesus took place in the everyday stuff of life. While traveling, while sailing, in conversations, while walking somewhere, while eating, while partying. That was where the ministry stuff happened. Jesus didn't have office hours. He didn't have a ministry center. And it wasn't sort of the set aside time that it happened in the midst of everyday life. And what really struck me is sort of the, the first verse that we're going to hit in the dailies tomorrow. Um, oh, how do I go back? There. While, verse 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. Uh, and this is where, again, there's a healing. But it's the word while that really struck me. And I've been wrestling with this contrast between two words. While and meanwhile. While 
it is multitasking. While is, it is something that happens while something else is going on. Two things happening at the same time of equal value. Jesus' ministry goes on while he's doing the other things of life. The word meanwhile is a little different. Um, Jen and I watch Colbert in the evening sometimes just to sort of get his take on the news. Not that I always agree with everything he says, but he has a segment that he calls meanwhile. And in meanwhile, it's the, the sort of the news that no one notices. It's the, the stuff that's less important. While these big stories are going on, meanwhile, there's all these other things that no one really notices or cares about. It's the silly afterthought. And see, I think that, that much of the way that we have come to understand faith and church is it's kind of a meanwhile thing. That, that I, I work my job, I, I pay my bills, I raise my kids, I have entertainment and sports and all of these other things, that I, my hobbies, the things I like to do. Meanwhile, over here, tucked away on the side, out of sight, meanwhile, I've also got this faith piece. Jesus is sort of compartmentalized, and this is where I go on a Sunday. Again, it's this, this sacred and secular, which is which and which matters more. Because we often think that when we leave this place and we just go to work tomorrow and maybe it's at an office or at a school or, or maybe it's just making food for your kids and trying to keep them alive, that that's the stuff that doesn't matter as much. That's just the secular pieces. And then over here, meanwhile, you've got the spiritual stuff, the church stuff that matters to God. But what I see here in Jesus is that it's while that matters. So um, we're going to be next here in First, Second Corinthians chapter 5. This is something that Paul has to say to us. <clears throat> he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Meaning the work is finished. That the, the now, now there is something new. Not someday. There's something new in our nature that Jesus has done. So it's not about getting to someday. It's about the new happening present now. It's done. And he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's a lot packed into that verse. Reconciliation is a relational term. It's about two people who were separated coming back together. And we understand that in the Bible that we were made to walk with God in relationship, that we were made to know him and walk with him in the cool of the garden and to know and to be known. There was this relational connection that got broken in sin, that sin has separated us and that our sin, uh, our rebellion has separated us from the author of life. And that through Jesus, this new creation has come where now he has taken the weight of our sin and our punishment, all of that on himself, where he bears it on the cross so that God doesn't see the junk in our lives anymore. Instead, now he just sees the forgiveness of Jesus and there's reconciliation, that he brings us together and reconciles us back to God, back to healing and that relationship exists in eternity. That's that reconciliation piece. But that truth isn't written on the clouds. It's not etched into the rocks. The ocean waves don't sound it out. The, that, that truth, that message has been given to us. And if we fail on spreading that message, on declaring that message, then it, it dies. And so there's, there's a responsibility where, where God says here, Paul says that 
that you have been reconciled, that God has done an amazing work in your life, and now you have been tasked with this same mission of continuing that message of being now, as Paul says in the next verse, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, meaning that now we have been tasked with this mission. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That Paul says that we have become ambassadors. That we are not just expected to show up and put in our dues and take attendance here at church. That actually we go out into our everyday life and while our work goes on, while we engage in our hobbies and our sports at play, we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. That we become God's representatives the salt and light, wherever we find ourselves. And so the lives of our faith is not about showing up here. It's about living out that ambassador life while the everyday stuff goes on. That God has called you to be an ambassador. Not just full-time ministry, not just monks in monasteries, not just church staff. All of us We are now part of a new kingdom and are called to be representatives of that kingdom wherever you find yourself tomorrow. Like the Maytag repairman who was whistling hymns. That was his way of representing the kingdom life in the midst of his everyday world in a way that he enjoyed and was talented at. That's why I think it's it's great that Joachim was in the tank. Uh, And with Joachim was Ryan. And, and, and Ryan, if you don't know, runs a business called Living Stones. Uh, and the amazing thing is I, I come to understand most people in the Valley seemingly work for him uh, is, is that this is, this, is, this is the very nature of what Ryan's trying to do, that they are a group of Christians who are doing landscaping. That's it. Which, which is this amazing testimony. So Jay tells me stories. Like we just sit and he tells me stories of, of these general contractors and the, they're landscapers on these big projects. And these general contractors are just shocked because here's this like ragged group of, of, of landscapers and there's Ralph over there and they're praying together at the start of the job on site. And he says one day that, that one of his foremen came over and actually like I had to apologize for his attitude the day before and ask for forgiveness. And like there are these contractors who are just shocked that this is going on. And But then above that, There's also the attitude of joy that they take to their work and the pride they take in excellence. And all these things are a testimony, not to the worldly systems, but that they're actually ambassadors for a different kingdom. And it's through the work and the ability, you know, to make money and do things with excellence is is not separate. But this is actually the while of our faith. And, And then it's also amazing you hear Jay's testimony and it's this living out of our faith that happens on the work sites with, with Ryan and with Ralph. The Jay is able to process the stuff of faith that actually brings him into the tank. It was in those relationships, working that out while on a job site, lifting lots and lots of paving stones. And so this call of our faith is not about putting in our time here, appeasing God so we can get on with the business that we have to do. Instead, it's, it's being called to be an ambassador in whatever God has gifted you with. Whether you're milking cows or teaching kids who don't want to be taught. Or working in an office or designing buildings. Whatever it is, that if that's your passion, if that's the gift that God has given you, or that's just the place where you happen to find yourself, 
There is a call in our lives to be ambassadors while that is going on. Not separate. I think, I mean, how, how many of us, if we're honest, right? How many of us, there are people in those spheres of our lives who'd be surprised that we find ourselves here at a church on a Sunday morning. Like, oh, I didn't realize that about you. That's meanwhile faith. We hide it. It's separate. It's, it, it, it's different than everything else. But a wild kind of faith that I think Jesus embodies and what means for us as ambassadors is we simply just try and do the things that God has put on our plates in the relationships, in our neighborhoods, wherever God has put you, whatever gifts and passions you have. If you love soccer, Peter, you're an ambassador to those soccer teams. That doesn't mean you have to have a soapbox and placards and you need to only preach the gospel, but by your attitude and through doing things with excellence and by loving people and seeing opportunities to pour into those relationships, you become an ambassador of the gospel while these things are going on that you enjoy doing. So it's not abandoning those things to do something different. It's sort of seeing the opportunities to be that kind of representative in the midst of it and being a light and being salt. And it becomes far easier and there's far less pressure because it's just doing the things that God has already called you to do. It's just bringing those two worlds, the sacred and the secular, together to see that you actually have a role and a responsibility and opportunities in everyday life. And so maybe for you, that even just means whistling while you work. Let's pray. God, we thank you that... Um, we thank you that you're not only pleased with those who uh, separate themselves from the rest of society and, and spend their lives in a monastery. But that God, real ministry happens in the, just in the everyday. As we seek to be ambassadors of your kingdom and your, your gospel, of your good news, while we're at play and while we're at work, while we're at home. Help us to saturate those areas in our lives with you. God, help us to see the opportunities and the relationships around us, even the difficult ones, as opportunities to be ministers of reconciliation, connecting more people with you, the source and author of life. God, we thank you again together today for the testimony of Joachim and what you've done in his life, the patience that you show, and also for all the people who've walked alongside him over the last few years, who just while engaging in other things um, have been loving him. And pointing him back to you. God, thank you that you have reconciled us and that you've given us mission and purpose. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.